You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Singapore's Sing Health sustains a major data breach. A third-party data exposure affects major manufacturers, including car makers. The Aspen Security Forum concludes with sobering warnings from senior U.S. government officials and the private sector of election interference and the prospects of a cyber 9-11. And Ecuador may be tiring of Mr. Assange. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, July 23, 2018. A major breach in Singh Health developed over the weekend, affecting approximately 1.5 million citizens of Singapore. The data, which were taken over a period of eight days before the exfiltration was discovered, included name, national registration identity card number, address, gender, race, and date of birth. For some 160,000 patients, the data taken included details of medicines they'd received. Singapore officials, while acknowledging the value the data could have if monetized by criminals, think the operation was run by a nation-state. Many have praised the government's response. FireEye pointed out to Bleeping Computer that detection within eight days is orders of magnitude below the regional norm of 498 days. But the incident has prompted calls for a reboot of Singapore's Smart Nation initiatives. Researchers at security firm eCentire report seeing an increase in exploitation of consumer networking devices, GPON routers, manufactured by Dasan and D-Link. This doesn't appear to be a highly targeted campaign. Indeed, the attack pattern suggests that a botnet is in use and that the exploitation is opportunistic. Users are advised to bring patches up to date, review credentials to ensure they haven't left the defaults in place, and consider disabling remote access and universal plug-and-play capabilities. The New York Times, InfoSecurity Magazine, TechCrunch, and others report security firm UpGuard's claims that Level 1 Robotics, which supplies major industrial firms, especially car manufacturers, left 157 gigabytes of data exposed on a publicly accessible server. Data from VW, Chrysler, Ford, Toyota, GM, Tesla, and Tyson Krupp, including assembly line schematics, plant floor plans, robotic configurations, request forms for ID badges and VPNs, and non-disclosure agreements. The data also includes various bits of personal information on Level 1 employees. Scans of passports and driver's licenses are mentioned, as well as some Level 1 business data, including contracts, details of bank accounts, and invoices. UpGuard says the data were left exposed on an R-Sync server that lacked either user or IP restrictions, and that the data kept there were accessible to any client that connected to the R-Sync port. 
The Aspen Security Forum wrapped up Saturday after clear direct warnings from senior U.S. intelligence and law enforcement officials that Russian hacking remained a significant threat to the U.S. Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats warned of the possibility of a cyber 9-11. What might such a cyber 9-11 look like? Other symposiasts said, essentially, that the worst-case scenario would involve disruption of critical infrastructure, especially water distribution, the power grid, and the financial system. They thought the prospect of terrorists, non-state actors, getting their hands on attack tools developed by nation-states was the most worrisome possibility. Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen called out Russian interference in elections, saying, quote, I agree with the intel community's assessment, full stop. Any attack on democracy, which is what that was, whether it is successful or it is unsuccessful, is unacceptable. I absolutely believe their assessment. End quote. According to an accountant Fortune, warnings about election interference came from the private sector as well. Microsoft's vice president for customer security, Tom Burt, said that Redmond had identified three spear phishing campaigns directed against campaigns in the U.S. midterm elections. They trace the incidents to a threat actor Microsoft believes to be associated with Russia's GRU, Military Intelligence Agency. Burt declined to say who the three targeted candidates were, but he did say that, quote, they were all people who, because of their positions, might have been interesting targets from an espionage standpoint, as well as an election disruption standpoint, end quote. Burt did add that, so far at least, the Russian services don't seem to be as aggressive as they were in 2016. Still, it's early. As he observed, we may still see attempts to infiltrate universities, think tanks, and social media in support of more effective phishing campaigns. As Burt noted, quote, there's a lot of time left before the election, end quote. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein said Russia's not the only cyber power everyone ought to be concerned about. While Russia is just one tree in a growing forest, presumably a pretty big tree, he also called out the worrisome and increasing threat of cyber attack by three other familiar nation-state actors, China, North Korea, and Iran. Julian Assange may be wearing out his welcome in Ecuador's London embassy. That welcome has grown increasingly strained, the smiles on the hosts' faces more pained over the past year, and Ecuador is said to be considering ending the asylum Mr. Assange has enjoyed since 2012. Ecuador's government has asked him, as a condition of that asylum, not to interfere with the affairs of other states, and Mr. Assange agreed to that condition last year. It's been difficult for him to restrain himself, however. Ecuador apparently sees his support of Catalonian independence as a particularly objectionable breach of trust. Ecuador's president, Lenin Moreno, who took office in May, has described the WikiLeaks founder as a hacker, which he doesn't mean in a good way, an inherited problem and a stone in the shoe. President Moreno will be in London at the end of this week, and there's considerable speculation that during or shortly after his visit, Mr. Assange will be handed over to British authorities. A lot of other authorities are also interested in him. The U.S. in particular would like him to account for his role in the leaks by former U.S. Army Specialist Manning. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta 
Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks. He also heads up Unit 42, which is their threat intel team. Rick, welcome back. Um, You know, a couple months ago, you told me about this notion of a cyber moonshot that uh, your boss had had floated to some folks. And and I think that captured the imagination of some people. Other people are skeptical of it, but uh, you've got an update. Uh, There's some, some new information about this. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, the, the idea of a cyber moonshot has been around for years and years, but uh, it's just been kind of a, you know, a thing, a marketing thing that vendors would glom onto. Um, and the idea of it was, been, was inspired by President Kennedy's speech at Rice University back in the early 60s, where he proclaimed that the United States would send a man to the moon and bring him back safely in 10 years, not because it was easy, but because it was hard. And that's what Americans do. We solve hard problems, right? So my boss got up in front of uh, this conference that goes on for the last few years, the Joint Service Academy Cybersecurity Summit. We've been rotating this group around the uh, academies for the various years. We did two years up at West Point. Uh, We did two years at Annapolis. And next year, we're going up to the Air Force Academy. Well, when we went to Annapolis, uh, my boss got up and said, you know what? I'm tired of talking about the problem. Why don't we do something about it? All right. And why don't we all get together and figure out how to do a cyber moonshot? So here's the mission statement. Um, If we wanted to make the Internet safe in 10 years, not safer, but safe, what would it take? And that got everybody excited. Uh, When I talked about this on your program the last time, I got lots of phone calls, lots of emails asking how they can help. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's been fantastic. All right. So but when I talk to network defenders about the cyber moonshot, okay, they they want to jump right to solving the problem. 
right? And that's not really where we're going for this. We're not trying to incrementally solve making the internet safe. We're trying to identify the problems that need to be solved, knowing full well that we probably don't have solutions in place uh, that can solve those problems. And so, and so we are trying to identify what those problems are. Hmm. Now, here's the news. Okay, here's what's changed. Two big things have happened. The first the NSTAC, the National Security Telecommunications Advisory Committee, decided to study the cyber moonshot issue this year. They've been looking at it over oh, the past few months, and they finished their research, I believe, and they're going to publish their results. What they did was they went out and interviewed a bunch of people, a bunch of organizations that did moonshot-like things in the past. They went out and uh, interviewed NASA and other you know, medicine research and all those kinds of things, and they, they kind of get a feel of what it would take to do a cyber moonshot. Hmm. And then, okay, the Joint Service Academy Cybersecurity Summit uh, leaders, uh, it's all the academies and, and some other commercial vendors, they said, why don't we take that report and try to put some meat on the bones? So what we're going to do is we're going to hold two or three workshops up at the Air Force Academy um, this next year uh, to try to add some uh, uh, flavor to what it is from what the INSAC uh, publishes. And then we'll talk about those issues at the next conference in the spring up at the Air Force Academy. So what makes us all different, okay, is that it looks like two independent organizations think this is a valid thing to do, uh, the INSTAC and the Joint Service Academy Cybersecurity Summit. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic that maybe we can get something going. Hmm. All right. Well, it's ambitious to be sure. Uh, if folks want to get a hold of you, if they have suggestions or just want to volunteer their time, uh, what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, tell them to hit me up on LinkedIn, and I will make sure they get on the list. And if they want to volunteer for the working groups, uh, uh, we're already building that list now. And if they want to come out to the conference in the spring of the Air Force Academy, we can make that happen, too. All right. Terrific. As always, Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.